Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Ferraro20 is the code to save you 20% at 2under.com, the number 2, U-N-D-R, the best men's underwear out there. Check them out, 2under.com. And, of course, Amazon, the Amazon banner on on pulphockey.com. Click on that. Go to Amazon. Make a purchase. We get a a small slice of that, and uh, we appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Give us a review on iTunes. Check it out on Stitcher and uh, and everything else. And uh, also, too, like I said, pulphockey.com. You can get it on there. With me on the line, a guy that played almost 1,000 games in the league, 500 points. Uh, has an NHL record to this day, and uh, and one of the uh, faster skaters back in the day, and uh, former Winnipeg Jet, Minnesota North Star, Nordique, Ottawa Senator, Doug Smale. Doug, thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Happy to do it. Thank you. Uh, what is going on with Doug Smale these days? What's happening? Well, I uh, I settled after my NHL career. I uh, I settled in Denver, Colorado, an area, and have been here ever since. Uh, spent a few years traveling back and forth. Uh, to, uh, to Europe playing hockey over there when mm-hmm. I was down in the NHL and uh, uh, chose Colorado because of uh, so many reasons. But right, um, yeah. it's where I uh, where I hang my hat right now. Yeah, if you've ever been to Colorado, I think we probably could know why you settled there, right? It's beautiful. Yeah, no, I, I played college hockey against DU when I was at the University of North Dakota. Um, coming down here in uh, mm-hmm. January or December and seeing the type of weather, but also the the, uh, the acoustics, if you will, of the, of the city and uh, how it was back then. It's certainly different than it is now, but, uh, you know, you're, you're 20 minutes for some absolutely beautiful scenery. You're, uh, you've got a great climate in the wintertime, uh, warm uh, by Canadian standards, and uh, yet you're 30 minutes, 45 minutes to numerous great ski resorts and mountain country that is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, in my real job, I cover motorcycle racing. We we race in Lakewood every year, and uh, right on the side of a mountain, and it's just beautiful, just great. So no, I live about five minutes away from that very location, and uh, I there when those motocrosses and such are going on. Uh, yeah, we're probably making a lot of noise, right? <laughs> <laughs> Where you're like, hey, stop it. <laughs> um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful country. What do you do for a living, or are you uh, fortunate you don't have to work at this point? No, it's, uh, you know, I don't believe in retirement, to mm-hmm. be quite honest. I don't believe uh, anybody should really stop working. Everybody's got a, a contributing factor, and uh, uh, mostly our seniors, as I see it, because of their the quote-unquote wisdom they've had through the course of their life, should be giving back, and, well, they should be allowed to give back mm-hmm. more than uh, their lack of willingness to. And uh, so I believe that uh, we continue to work and add to society whatever we can. Right now I have... Um, we have uh, a, a couple of uh, entities that we work through and uh, um, in various industries allowed to, to have certain freedoms uh, to vet in certain industries and uh, um, invest and uh, partake management-wise and consulting-wise with several different areas. Uh, we accrue certain assets through those uh, entities and 
Um, also involved with youth hockey down here in a couple of organizations where I spend a good amount of time mm-hmm. um, coaching and uh, developing uh, young hockey players. Yeah, so I was going to say, so you still get on the ice? Yeah, uh, right. quite a bit actually. Right. More, more of my time is probably spent doing that than the, than the uh, work-related areas. <laughs> have certain freedom to do that, and uh, sure. Um, uh, with a couple of organizations that have been really good to me and my family, and. Uh, um, just love being on the ice with the kids, and uh, uh, that environment will never pale. You still got those wheels, Doug? You still able to? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, last, yesterday at practice with my uh, with my AAA seventeen uh, year old team, we uh, we had a little fun in scrimmage, and so mm-hmm. uh, you're very you're using your so called wisdom more than those wheels. <laughs> more more than the wheels that that, uh, that you were, because you were you were a great skater. I remember that. Um, before we touch on your career a little bit. Um, well, first of all, uh, well, no. Let me ask you this first: How much do you keep up on the game now? How much do you watch? How much do you follow it? Well, I uh, I follow it quite a bit actually. Uh, uh, have numbers of obvious friends and relationships in the NHL and the professional ranks. Have a few kids that we've trained right now in the professional ranks, and uh, so I keep up on it uh, regularly. Very interested in uh, in the pro game. Uh, absolutely, absolutely love. The way the game has gone in the last 20 years, uh, very, very, very proud of what Mr. Bettman has done for the league and his leadership. Very proud of what the ownership uh, has done for the league and the players and expanding the game and exposing it to to communities, say in the United States that it wasn't exposed to back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I think they've done a phenomenal job from a media standpoint. Uh, the way they've handled their uh, ex-players being uh, color commentators, etc. Mm-hmm. It just adds so much more depth to the game, much more insight, uh, very, 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 very much more professional than it was in the 80s and early 90s. And I uh, just tip my hat to the ownership and uh, the leaders of the NHL. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Austin Matthews next year, he's Arizona. Uh, we've got some California guys in the first round. Maybe the Gretzky effect, right, of going to L.A., um, more than ever so, these new new places are, are breeding hockey players. You know, it's, it, it is cool. No, it, it really is. And you saw that the Colorado Avalanche done for youth, did for youth hockey back in the 90s when Quebec came in here. And uh, it, it was phenomenal that uh, that you saw the same type of, you're calling the Gretzky effect, you may call it the Sackick foot uh, sure. effect down here, <laughs> Forsberg effect down in Colorado, where the interest in hockey just grew dramatically and for them to win so early was was really big and uh, that interest continues and there's a very very good hockey base here in Colorado and a number of kids playing major junior hockey division one hockey and professional um yeah no doubt about it I guess when you watch the game now look you're a smaller guy when you played you were really fast uh you'd be better probably in this era right now than the 80s and, and the clutch and grab and all that kind of stuff. Do you, do you watch the games now and go, oh, man, it, it is about speed, and I, and I was fast. Well, I think that uh, yes and no's to that. I believe that uh, there's a number of players that would have been better suited to the game today, mm-hmm. most certainly. Um, but in that same token, you're looking at a lot uh, of the bigger and larger hockey players that are they're just better skaters. They're more mobile. The defense, in mm-hmm. my mind, in today's game, and not to knock the guys back in my day, because there was certainly an element of it that was fantastic. I mean, I don't know that you're ever going to have a guy that skates like Paul Paul Coffey back on the blue line again. Right. But the, the game is is overall is is the guys. I think the equipment's better. Everything's better. The conditioning and the training mm-hmm. off the ice is is 
light years ahead of what it was in the 80s and early 90s, and guys are uh, they're, they're so much uh, better conditioned, uh, better prepared to play physiologically and mentally, emotionally, I believe, than the kids were and the guys were back in our days. And um, Yes, it would have been fun to play in today's game, right. uh, but for those of us that are purists, uh, any era would have been fun to play in. True, and then I, I just did one of these with Darren Pang. He calls the uh, St. Louis Blues broadcast uh, his color guy, and we yeah. talked about the goaltending now compared to the 80s, and no knock against those guys. I mean, you know, Grant Fuhrer and, and, and those guys are some of the best ever for that era, but the equipment, which is the big controversy now, and the, the, the physique, the training, the specific goaltending coaches now, I mean, like, uh, you know, you just, it's unbelievable compared to when you watch some classic games, which I do quite a bit, actually. I need to get more of a life. You really can see the goaltending position has, has improved a ton. Yeah, and, and I agree with you that uh, it, it's not a, per se, I don't agree that there's a lack of talent uh, back then versus today, uh, but certainly the training, uh, certainly the equipment. Um, I believe the great players back then would have been great today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the Gretzky's setter would have been leading the leagues in scoring today. They just wouldn't have scored as many points, but they still would have been leading the league in scoring mm-hmm. um, uh, because they're just great people, great players, uh, great athletes, and uh, better training mechanisms today would have been would have been in their uh, valuable as well. And goaltending, in my mind, falls into that category. I think. Uh, to me, you know, he's, he's proven it by his career, and, and uh, but Patrick Waugh was, was probably one of the greatest goaltenders of all time in my mind, simply uh, because he, he was in the air with poor equipment, um, different styles of goaltending, mm-hmm. and he adapted so well to being more of a reaction goalie to a re, uh, an angles goalie and compensating for the, the sticks, the play, the equipment, everything. And, and uh, he really adapted to a newer, the new form of game through his career. Um, I think there's a lot of guys now. I mean, obviously the goaltenders are so much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, they're better trained. So, you know, the Brian Haywards and the Pokey Reddicks and the, those type of guys, uh, as talented as they were, simply um, yeah. much as with smaller players at forward. You, you, if you've got a guy that is as big yeah. or yeah. bigger, uh, better equipment, uh, better conditioned mm-hmm. because of the training mechanisms today versus then, uh, you're just going to have a better uh, a better chance to win hockey games with those guys than uh, you did back then. Yeah, Peke Rene, six six, Ben Bishop or six five, Ben Bishop six six. These guys are monsters now. And I yeah. remember, like back in in your era, you know, it was well, Ken Dryden was just the biggest thing ever, right? At six four uh, in the late seventies, uh, and uh, it just you just didn't see it. You're right. Um, how many times do you get asked about your NHL record, fastest goal to start the game? Is well, it's uh, you know one of those records that is more trivia than anything. It's not uh, not what we call an important record. But oh, it's, stop it! It's a, it's a trivia <laughs> record, and uh, of course, anybody likes to start the game one up, but uh, right. it, it, it comes up once in a while, no doubt. Okay, so what happened? Five seconds in 1981. I I, I was uh, I was eight or seven. I don't remember it, but what what happened? Who was against? How'd you uh, we do were it? Playing, playing St. Louis, and uh, their their guy. Uh, I was a left winger. Their centerman won it back to their left D, the opposite side. He tried to throw it across to Eddie Kia. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Kia was a friend of mine um, in those days. And I just stepped in between the pass, and I could hear Eddie almost laughing. He goes, oh, Dougie. <laughs> and, uh, no. and, I it off, and I went in and uh, just let a wrister go. Yeah. Off the left side, uh, the goalie, I think, was Paul Skidmore. He got a piece of it with his glove. And 
You know, I've always said if anybody else had been shooting, it would have been three seconds instead of five. <laughs> yeah, Trache McGillney tied you, which I did. I remember uh, when McGillney did it. I remember him tying you because I just being Winnipeg guy. You know, it's cool that you know Doug Smale, Winnipeg Jet, held that record. So, um, hey, let's get into uh, into your career a little bit. So you go to you grew up in Saskatchewan. It looks like you go to UND. And then you you put up some great points in in college hockey, and you're a free agent. Why the Jets? And how, the, was there a bit of a bidding war for you because you were you were you know quite good in college? So talk about that decision a little bit. Well, it was uh, yeah, there would be a modest bidding war. Actually, we had we had a dozen NHL teams uh, um, offer us a contract. Um, I boiled it down to three teams. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, I boiled it down to Edmonton. Uh, Philadelphia and Winnipeg, and uh, uh, through the vetting process, Philadelphia had flown me out there and introduced me to all the mm-hmm. team and walked through the dressing room and wine and dine me for a weekend. It was they're a very impressive organization, very classy organization. Mm-hmm. Glenn Sather in Edmonton did exactly the same thing and uh, flew me up there and you know uh, explained what they were building, who they had, their talent base, and where they felt they were going and. Uh, very, very impressive. Glenn Sather, one of my favorite hockey people in the world, uh, just treated me like uh, that weekend. I felt like I was a nephew. <laughs> treated me so well, and uh, right. uh, was just a, a great individual. Um, and Winnipeg, uh, I never, I never, uh, I never was uh, was entertained by Winnipeg, but uh, <laughs> I, I felt it was I felt it was a, a good fit for me simply because uh, I felt I would play right away. Right, um, Philadelphia. Um, They'd offer me a great contract, and in fact, dollar to dollar with a better contract. And I've hinged on that a lot of years, Lincoln, what would have, could have, should have. But as it turned out, I believe that Winnipeg is the best decision simply because I believed in John Ferguson. Um, I, I think through his career, it proved that he was uh, uh, with him and uh, his staff were, were good in the fact that Winnipeg, let's face it, was a, probably the lowest budget in the NHL, and, mm-hmm. but, but built an NHL Stanley Cup contender three times in the 80s. Um, uh, you know, really a contender that, that could have had a shot at it right. um, on the lowest budget in the NHL. So I, I think it, it bode well for me. I played um, uh, Philadelphia, my center iceman from college hockey, was drafted by them, Mark Taylor. Uh, they went through a management to change at year three of my NHL career. I was like 70% of the players. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't want to be part of situations like that. Yep. But looking back, I think it was a good decision that I didn't go because new management brings in who they want. Uh, I felt John Ferguson would be there a long time, um, and that that uh, I would have. I felt like I was uh, wanted. I felt like I would get my due. Right. Uh, Edmonton. I just. It was something I. I couldn't put a finger on. Um, you know, the the. As much as I felt uh, uh, a unique relationship, just for that brief moment with yeah. Glenn Sather, he wasn't the biggest guy in the world either, and yet had to play through the toughest era of hockey. Uh, size mm-hmm. and uh, you know he understood uh, what uh, what he was building and uh, I just it just boiled down to a gut feeling about Winnipeg and uh, um, you know looking back would I made the same decision uh, probably but uh, with maybe a few reservations yeah could have been something with Oilers and, and always of course they always had the one of the best ice surfaces in the league you were a faster guy the talent there you know but then maybe you wouldn't get playing time who knows you know what I mean one of those things but it, it, you never know, yeah. and you know, yeah. as much as uh, I, I can't, I'm not uh, not second guessing anything. Never have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love my time in Winnipeg. It was a, a prairie city, and uh, 
was treated very well there for the most part. I was thinking, you know, you went to UND, you're from Saskatchewan. I was like, oh, maybe he wanted to stay close to home. But, yeah, actually had nothing to do with it. Just, uh, it, yeah. It, 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 it felt comfortable, really. Right. And, and I believed in, uh, in the, the people that John, John uh, had on his staff, Michael Doran. Um, and uh, um, there were some things about uh, building an NHL team that being a young player I didn't completely understand at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, I believe John's uh, hands uh, basically handcuffed in a number of things. And the economics are what they are. You, you, know, yeah. you really can't fault ownership. You can't fault anything. It's just what it is. Yeah. Were you always, uh, always one of the quicker guys uh, the whole time growing up playing, uh, you know, Midget and, and junior hockey and college hockey and, and all that. Were you always just like one I mean, of the faster guys? Um, I, I think I had an element of speed, but it started. To, you know, I started working a little bit more on it in my you know later years of teen, my later teen years. Mm-hmm. Not a lot though. We didn't do a lot of training. Um, it just was something that uh, I had two parents that were athletes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I was uh, I was at uh, the University of North Dakota and. and uh, where I got to be known more of a, a speed guy. And I was with uh, Carol Wilson, uh, who was our power skating coach at North Dakota. Um, and I, she didn't talk to me for about five weeks about my skating. Okay. And uh, I, I went to her after she started talking to all the guys and helping us. And um, I said, Carol, I said, you haven't said to me anything about my skating. Uh, is, is, am I a lost cause or what's the deal? She goes, <laughs> She goes, you need to get on the phone tonight and thank your parents what they gave you because there isn't anything I can help you with. You do it all right. Oh, no way. Wow. And uh, I said, what do you mean? She says, you just have the right, you've just been given a gift. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, so I, I, uh, I took that to heart and literally literally called my folks who were both great athletes as, as younger people and uh, um, just, you know, they give you certain genes that uh, it's inheritance, not arrogance. Yeah, really, right? I just... Uh... Penalty killing was huge for you. Shorthanded goals, you could always wheel all the time. You know what I mean? Like, even when you're an older guy in the league and just, you never lost it. It seemed like anyways. You know, and we'll get to some of the Ottawa Senator years, but maybe. But uh, it just seemed like you could always, always skate, like just no other. So. Well, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I do a lot of training of young athletes now, and I tell the tell six foot four guys and six foot three guys, look at a lot of these plyometrics are a lot easier for us smaller guys to do than you <laughs> bigger guys, so. Yeah. Which is true. It's true always. It's true always. Uh, go, first year in Winnipeg, uh, you only played 30 games. Uh, broke your jaw, I think. I, I did some research. Um, and then it was a rough year. It was rough, wasn't it? Like, uh, obviously, you know, the WHA had, had taken them in, and, and most of these teams got stripped of a lot yeah. of their great players, and it was kind of almost like expansion team a little bit. But um, what was it like that first year? Well, it was, you know, it was – it was a tough year, but you know those of us that were young and uh, we lost about twenty games, I believe twenty or twenty-five games, somewhere in that era, by a goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Tommy McVie and, and uh, the rest of the coaching staff at the time would throw us young guys in in critical parts of the game. And I know I only played thirty, but Donnie Spring, Mo Manta, Davey Christian, Dave Babich, and mm-hmm. you, know, you get thrown into critical parts of games where if if you view some of the guys that were there the year before and uh, had kept them there, you're probably going to win 15 more games that year, maybe 20, mm-hmm. uh, just because of the maturity factor. But they were throwing us right to the fire, and uh, it was tough. Right. Uh, it would have been tough being a veteran on that team, as it was for us in Ottawa, you know, 13 years later. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, it, it, it was difficult. And uh, um, as far as the injuries go, you know, uh, 
couple of freak injuries. Uh, um, you know, certainly a, a, a rough and tumble one injury, but it, mm-hmm. it kept me out of the hockey game for a while, and uh, um, it was frustrating because I had uh, had started to establish. As a young player, you want to establish yourself, and I was um, always an offensive player in, mm-hmm. in junior and college hockey, and. But in, in the pro, you're, they're going to give you a little bit of rope and hope you, you know, literally uh, can expand on what you did as an amateur. And really, my first year really started to get some of that rolling in the last 15 games of my thing, picking up points, showing mm-hmm. what I could do, uh, looking like I was going to get a sniff on the power play. And uh, the injury stopped that establishment of those types of uh, uh, parts of the game. But it, right. it is what it is. And uh, um, next year, Tommy Watt came in and... Uh, um, had his uh, his agenda. Yeah, and um, first NHL goal. What what do you remember about it? Who was against? Yeah, it was against Washington on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, you know, just uh, a quick pass and a quick shot. Nothing yeah. real fancy. Just uh, again, the equipment wasn't very big back then. <laughs> uh, hey, but the good th- news about uh, not doing so well is you got Howard Chuck. Right, he comes in um, immediately. Are you like, wow, this kid? Check him out. Like he said, I think it was the NHL record at the time for, for points for a rookie. Um, pretty amazing guy. No, Dale was, uh, I mean, he was uh, very competent and confident. And he, definitely not an arrogant player at mm-hmm. all. But uh, even as a young kid, he had uh, lots of confidence. And, uh, you know, the, I think to me, probably one of the most underrated stars that the league has ever seen is Dale Howarchuk, simply because of. You know Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, again, no offense to the city, but it was it was Winnipeg, and it was uh, didn't get the media attention, didn't get all the stuff. But uh, if he's in another center, um, he's going to have a lot more attention as, as good a hockey player was. And his his capabilities of his vision and his hands, uh, his passing capabilities were phenomenal. And uh, he could find guys, and uh, uh, also good around the net as well. So. Yeah, a great pickup for the club. Yeah, and, and guys I've talked to said like like you said you mentioned too like not not arrogant, really nice guy, like a good dude. Yeah, no, he's uh, you know if it's, uh, he's not going to separate himself. He's not. He doesn't have an air of, of arrogance and, and mm-hmm. sport and every industry in the world and you get the management of different areas of the world and you, you'll see that arrogance and uh, you know you, you, unfortunate as it is it's there uh, yet uh, Dale always composed himself well whether it was uh, in the dressing room with the boys on the road or you know with the mm-hmm. media and the fans he was uh, he's a real guy looking back like again I grew up in Winnipeg so followed these teams although I'm a Maple Leaf fan but I still went to a lot of games um it was like a cycle of, of kind of one good year, one bad year, some really good teams in there. But, of course, you had the Flames and the Oilers who were, you know, incredible. One year the Flames – Oilers finished first and Flames finished third, or maybe I got that the other way, and Jets were fifth overall. Um, Barry Long came in. I remember he was he was really good. And then the, the next year it would go sour, and then he was gone. Then another coach would come in, and it was um, – it was really a rock up and down a little bit um, throughout those kind of mid-80s. Some really good teams, but then could never sustain it. Well, I think that uh, if, if you look back at the management side and, and John Ferguson, Michael Doran, uh, who was John's right-hand man, mm-hmm. was uh, killed in a car accident. And uh, that certainly left a big gaping hole in, in, uh, in uh, I, I believe, would be John's vision, if you will, for growing the team from that point. I think in the first five years, you watched the team methodically grow mm-hmm. into a Stanley Cup contender. 
and then that happened, and we're talking about the, 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 the David Babbage trade, et cetera, and different pieces started to be lost and changed, and uh, the coaching, it was all, I mean, look, look would we have 10 coaches in 10 years or yeah. something like that? I mean, it was uh, coaches and goaltenders, it wasn't a, wasn't a very safe <laughs> position in Winnipeg. And so those are two critical pieces. You want to have a steady hand on the helm. Um, and there was always an adjustment for a new coach, too, uh, yeah. regardless of it being the NHL. Um, coaches would come in, and they wouldn't even—they wouldn't know who all the players were. I mean, they'd know them, but they didn't know their specialties, their specifics, what they could do. They'd know roughly, but they, they, they had to learn their players. And they're all who's going to bring a—want to bring two or three of their own guys, maybe five. And yep. Yep. so there was a—it was a constant adjustment period. And so you'd, you'd, you'd have that. And uh, uh, again, you've got a low-budget team in the National Hockey League that you know couldn't sustain the economic growth. Uh, of, of salaries that, mm-hmm. that just grows with success. And uh, so those are adjustments that, you know, always had to be made. And, you know, saying they weren't there would be basically putting your head in the sand. It's all part of professional sports. So yeah. it's just the way it was. I remember, uh, you know, Brian, uh, Paul McClain, Brian Mullen played on Dale's line. I don't remember you getting too many shots up there. Uh, did you? Did you get a run up there with Dale, or did, were you always kind of a guy second line? And, of course, penalty killing, like we said, was uh, you, you, was, you were going over the boards every time. But it was uh, I never really remember you getting too many shots at the top line. No, I, I, played, uh, I played three games with Howie, I believe. And I think I, had, I think I had six or seven points in those games. <laughs> right. Um, it was, you know, there was certain elements in my game that, that, that I, could, I could feed off a player like that. I had a player... In college, uh, his name was Mark Taylor. He had a, a shorter NHL career than I did, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, this guy had great mitts, uh, great vision, uh, could find me going to holes and openings, and uh, we had a stellar, uh, stellar career together in college. Um, and Dale had those similar capabilities of finding and vision, and, and much better than than uh, than, uh, than Mark had. Although mm-hmm. Marks were were tremendous. Um, and so it was fun to play with him the games when uh, when certain people weren't put on the line with him and uh, yeah um, you know the handful that I did play were they were believe me they were giggles and fun yeah no doubt right was there a team that in Winnipeg that was one that stands out as being the best one I mean obviously like I said ups and down 80, 84 85 was great uh, upset Calgary uh, 86 87 upset Calgary you know, I, I shouldn't say upset Calgary beat Calgary. Um, you know, always losing to the Oilers, but was there a team in Winnipeg that you felt was the best one you were on? Would you remember one or another? Or? Well, I think you can go one, two, three teams. Uh, the, the two you mentioned, the one in eighty nine, ninety, with Bob Murray was the coach, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we uh, gave away a three one uh, series lead to Edmonton. Yeah, um, those three teams were were each different in their composition. Uh, three completely different coaches, right? Um, and three completely different teams. The, the team in '85, uh, very long. Uh, Rick Bonus, uh, his assistant, was basically a run and gun team uh, that had, you know, um, you know, a young defense, mm-hmm. but, but a wise defense, and uh, um, it was a, it was just a fun team to be involved with. Uh, uh, the heavier team with uh, in, in that. Uh, Middle late '80s yep. was a, was a very heavy team, uh, more of a physical team. Uh, could play any style that the NHL had to offer at, at the time, um, but uh, maybe missing some top end, top end the high skill guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last team uh, I would call more of a, a, a plumber type team. Um, 
Hunterbaum, Murdoch, each of them had a, a tr- different identity, which was, you know, you, you try to find where you fit into each one of those three different type of teams and you try and play. And uh, um, they were they were all enjoyable teams. They all had a shot at it, a literal shot at it, uh-huh. and uh, all with different coaching staffs and, uh, you know, and uh, a handful of us who played through it. And, you know, tough to watch, you know, uh, the last one, 89-90, I think we would have done a little bit better with uh, – a little more ice time for a few other guys, but uh, mm-hmm. it was what it was. Also, too, like you mentioned, you touched on no no disrespect to Hayward, Pokey, Pokey and the Bandit, or even Asenza, uh, but they just it they got, those guys couldn't sustain greatness for any length of time. It seemed like like I'm, and again, this is just a guy on the couch, right? But it seemed like our goalies couldn't, or Winnipeg goalies couldn't make a stop necessarily. You know, and hey, whatever these things happen, but um, well, never, there never was a top end, you know, number one A one A goalie. Yeah, you know, and I, I, you know, it's tough to to not be a teammate of those guys and not defend them, and which is what I'm going to do right now. Yeah, no, no, like I said, they, they just, were all yeah. they were all good in their own right, and they all had uh, a great element of talent. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, we we um, you're talking about a. a, a Use the term juggernaut in, say, Edmonton, mm-hmm. uh, where there was a, a team that could just come at you and come at you and come at you, and the ability for them to create scoring chances. And these were, these were, you know, guys that could finish. Yeah. I remember one particular game we went into Edmonton. I think the shots were 48-18 for us. <laughs> just totally, totally yeah. dominated the hockey game, but the right. scoring chances. They had five. We had 16. They scored on all five of their scoring chances. Right. We scored on three of ours. Yeah. And, and so the element of talent going against those goaltenders you're talking about mm-hmm. was uh, was uh, difficult to defend at times because the scoring chances, they were just able to finish them. And, uh, um, you know, nothing against the goaltenders, but yeah. sure, kudos to the talent that they had to go against. What was it like uh, going against those Oilers teams? You hop over the boards, you know, um, Curry, Gretzky, Coffee. Anderson, Messi. Uh, what was it like? And and obviously, um, I was going to ask you about Gretzky versus Lemieux, but I'm thinking you're thinking to say Gretzky. You saw him a whole lot more. But um, what was it like playing against those guys? Was it sometimes sitting there going, oh, shit, like what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, sometimes it's exactly what's through your head. But um, we, we really believed that we had a crack at them every time we'd play. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's games where, where they'd be on a roll and they were pretty tough to stop. And But Again, they they gave up a ton in their end. Not to slight their defense, yeah. But they were so offensive minded. They gave up a ton in their end. They just happened to have Grant Fear, Andy Mould, and then you know Ranford at the end there. I mean, they they had a, a goaltender that was, you know, uh, I mean, out of his mind half the time. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was you get through that, and you still had to you know you still had to try and bury against a Fear, and uh, he to me was was uh, if not the most valuable player when he was there. He was right at the top of the food chain. 28 shorthanded goals for you. Um, I guess just that was just your penalty-killing instincts, your offensive instincts, and then, like we said, your skating, right? Um, I remember break. I remember a ton of breakaways. Uh, you probably could have had 50 shorthanded goals, you know what I mean? Like not, you, know, you had a lot of chances because your wheels and your smarts, I guess. Was, was penalty-killing something you took pride in? Like, was that... Was that something where you're like, "Hey, I'm the guy. I can do this." Well, I think you you take pride in what you're. You, you have to take responsibility for the things that are given to you on mm-hmm. the ice, and uh, you know the the. There's so many hockey players that that you see come through the the 
NHL or the minor leagues that are that are really good hockey players. I mean, there's just so many guys that you know, if woulda, coulda, shoulda, they they could have played mm-hmm. and, and contributed, and uh, they want the responsibility. So there's there's so many guys that they, on every guy that plays in the NHL, they want more responsibility, and so. You know, there's uh, those of us in Winnipeg that killed penalties and, and other mm-hmm. guys and, and, and on every team that, you know, they really, you you, you got to take the responsibility, you got to want the responsibility, and you got to try and make the best of it. So, you know, not only killing, you know, I, I firmly believe, even from my amateur days, that, you know, you if you've got a bit of quickness, if you can find holes in the mm-hmm. defense that you're playing with, uh, know uh, and read certain places on the ice, hey, you know, uh, he's going to be going to that hole, that's the place he's going to be going, I'm going to put the puck there. Right. So you know, you just—it's just a mentality and uh, a way to try to take advantage of the situation. You—you uh, you stayed in Winnipeg. We'll get to your trade in a second here, but you stayed in Winnipeg for a long time. I, I'm assuming you re-upped one, two, three times uh, for a contract. Now the rules are were pretty different back then. It wasn't really liberal, unrestricted as much as it is nowadays. But did you have a chance to leave? Did you always re-up uh, with Fergie and the Jets? Were you always believing? Did you have a chance to go somewhere else? Or what was the contract status like all those years? Because you played for, like I said, you played in Winnipeg a long time. Well, economics, for, for a hockey player, first of all, you know, and, and economics is something that I'm, I'm, uh, I have a great interest in. And uh, like... Uh, you know, capital creation and, and the things that do that. But, you know, when you're looking at things back in those days or any day, you're looking at an understanding as an athlete that you only have so long to play. Mm-hmm. And you're basically taking away, your, if you're going to play a decade to 15 years, you're going you're gonna to take away your major, um, what I'll call corporate establishment years. Uh, let's face it, out of college, a person going into corporate America or corporate Canada is going to... Uh, is going to spend their 20s and, and most of their 30s establishing themselves where their big money and their earning in corporate America or Canada is going to start coming in their late 30s, early mm-hmm. 40s. And uh, um, as a hockey player, you're giving up that establishment time. And so you, you want to make the most you can. So contract is very important to all the guys. And, and Canada and its, you know, its, its revenue policies, its taxation policies, it was and to this day, to me, is still absolutely brutal. Yeah, it is. And yeah. it, it, uh, it, 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 people would always say, if you you'd want uh, an economic benefit somewhere else, it just wasn't uh, wasn't right as an athlete. You should want to stay there. Well, they're completely wrong because you only have so many earning years. So those things were always a concern. We were, you know, guys, you're you're always leveraging, trying to leverage right. the ownership and uh, with the management for for. Uh, whether it be deferred compensation or those type of things, to just help you retain more of your earned income. And believe me, you know, it, 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 that was always a concern for just about it, for every hockey player. Right, and, right. Uh, the, 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 the demonstrative difference in the 80s of playing hockey in the U.S. versus Canada financially was ridiculous. And uh, so those were concerns that everybody mm-hmm. had. And so you're just trying to leverage well, um, and the government of Canada... Um, in the 80s, took away some of the benefits for athletes and artists, which was, in my mind, very, very foolish for them to do uh, mm-hmm. for their own income basis. Um, but they, they did it, and it hurt. It hurt tremendously the athletes and the artists in Canada in those years. So sitting across from Fergie trying to pound out a deal, him yelling at you, cigar in his mouth. It must, it must have been pretty. Did you have an agent? Obviously, I guess. But well, yeah. I had an agent, but I talked to John directly, and, and did you? Uh, yeah. And and you know went through some things, and and. Uh, you know, I'd uh, actually even done an economic study and compared six cities in the U.S. versus playing in Winnipeg at the time <laughs> in the mid-80s. Oh, he probably loved that. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it, was, it was 
his face was red when I. I <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the document was so detailed, and it proved, you know, it proved the living cost of living, consumer price indexes, and uh, exchange rates and uh, taxation rates, right down to the cost of toothpaste. And uh, <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't just something that those guys could handle in those days, I believe, because they they knew it was there, but it, yeah. it, it just wasn't going to help the situations because they didn't have the capital to to give the players. <laughs> Fergie's like you and your college education. Beat yeah, well, it, beat it. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was, I was, uh, I was social psychologies and it was pre-law and stuff, but it wasn't finance. But I had an interest there, so it was, it was uh, interesting. But it was, uh, boy, you're just banging your head against the wall. When uh, Fergie got fired, Mike Smith came in, and this was near the end of your Jets career. But uh, he was a different dude, huh? He had some different ideas. He just seemed like that way, anyways, from from a guy who just lived there. Well, um, I, I actually, as different as Mike Smith and John Ferguson were, I right. liked both men. Yeah, you got along with um, them? Yep. I, I got along with my life. I thought Mike Smith was probably one of the most cerebral hockey men I've ever met. Yeah. And uh, I believe probably probably uh, ahead of his time in, as far as the, the, the Euro integration and uh, the, the way the game had to be played. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, terribly, terribly bright hockey guy. And uh, I, I just, I liked him. Yep. And, uh, but to talk about two different philosophies, the way the game is played and <laughs> yeah. players, and you know, as, uh, if you're a hockey player, converging between those two management systems, boy, you've got to have your head on. Right. Uh, All-Star game in 90, um, 25 goals that year, 49 points, 79 games. Where was it, and um, what was that experience like? Well, it was it was in Pittsburgh, and it was Tommy Steen's positions. He was his. He had earned the right to play there, and but he got injured, and mm-hmm. Mike Smith. Uh, Asked me if I wanted to go, and I said I'd be happy to take Tommy's place. So sure. it, 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 uh, it, the nice thing about going there with Tommy Watt, who was uh, who was one of the coaches there, he came right up to me when I walked in the dressing room, and he said, "Dougie, it's so good to see you here. You should have been here a bunch of times." Oh, that's cool. And, uh, yeah. That was a nice compliment to come from him. And uh, but it was just a thrill, um, good fun. Uh, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, we got shellacked by Lemieux's team, and um, <laughs> shocking, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it was it was all good. It was a great experience. Uh, uh, my dad, I uh, got him to go down, and uh, he sat. He didn't even want to come to one of the events with uh, with us at the time, and he just wanted to sit in the hotel and watch all the heroes that he had, the Jean Bellevaux mm-hmm. and uh, all those guys of that era who would, uh, were at the hotel. He just wanted to walk and see them walking <laughs> through the lobbies and everything. So he didn't want to hang out with his son. Yeah, he wanted yeah. to see those guys. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, who'd you play on the line with? Do you remember? I played on the line with uh, Messier and Hull. Not so bad. No, it was pretty good. It would have been uh, we got a got a couple of G's that game, but uh, yeah. you know our line did, and uh, um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, great talent, but let's face it, it was a game of shinny. Yeah, well, exactly right. It's worse nowadays. It's it's almost unwatchable now. Um, yeah. The uh, the trade to Minnesota. I remember uh, as a kid, I was I was pretty surprised. It kind of came out of nowhere. Again, this is a little while ago, so maybe my memory is maybe you were feuding or maybe it wasn't working out. I don't remember. But what was the circumstances behind it? I, I seem to remember it being a surprise, like I said. But were you expecting it? Did it come out of nowhere? And uh, where were you when it happened and all that? Uh, just just at home. We were at home and uh, we played a game the night before and uh, uh, played. Uh, and lost, and uh, you know, I I had uh, I had not had a great start to my season. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't playing bad, but you know, even for a quote unquote neutralizer or checker type guy that I was, the uh, there's certain numbers that are expected out of yeah. me, and uh, they weren't there. So 
So, you know, if, if I had a better start, they probably maybe might not have moved me. But uh, um, it was Winnipeg. We, it was struggling. The club was really struggling, and the mm-hmm. club struggled, you know, during that was what you'd call a kind of a transition year. They were, yep. I think, Mike looking to some, some younger players, and uh, a lot of guys were, had been moved out in the 24 months. Yeah, Dale got traded, right? Yeah, it was a big shock. Yeah. You know, uh, you've got, uh, you know, two of the – Two of the best of their kind in the league, and in uh, Dale Howarchuk and Laurie Boschman being moved out, um, and so uh, obviously a youth movement going on. And uh, you know, notwithstanding, it was something that probably was going to have to happen at some point. Yeah, it was a big deal because you'd been there for so long. A little bit of a fan favorite, you know. Everyone, um, you were a good uh, the, from the outside looking in. It was like, ah, yeah, he's a good player, a good guy, you know, uh, and all that. And I remember it being like, oh. You know, there goes a guy. You know, first Howard Chuck, now Smale, and it's like, oh wow, you know. So, like you said, just a, just changing of the guard a little bit. How was uh, how was Minnesota? Um, it was uh, it was an interesting year. Um, mm-hmm. I knew after shortly after I got there, they had had some injuries, so they needed to find somebody to fill in a hole for a while. And you know, uh, played on the line with uh, Neil Braun and Gitan Duchesne for a while, and we did very very well. We're starting to pick up points, and we were the yeah. There's some speed there too. Yeah, that team and. Uh, uh, then it got some injuries back, and I found myself just watching a lot of games, which uh, very uncomfortable never to to watch games. And you you, you just got a different uh, a different system and a different uh, mentality. But uh, um, I was uh, I was at a place in uh, uh, in my life where I was I was uh, um, not as energetic about the game for some reason. Right. I lost a little bit of the the emotional energy for the game and was looking to some way to get it back and uh, it was difficult in Minnesota once you saw what you were what you were traded for. Yeah, really, right? Um it was it, yeah, you got a good point there. Uh so that was the year they ran to the finals. Were you a scratch? I was a scratch. I played uh, one uh, game. Yeah, one and, game. Uh, that would that would suck. Jeez. Yeah, it wasn't fun. It, no. It's uh, every one of us has a has a uh, "Quote unquote ego, if you will, and so yeah. you you want to be part of it. And uh, as happy as you you get, and I knew uh, I got to got to know a few of the guys really well in that short period of time. And uh, uh, Stewie Gavin, um, Bobby Smith, uh, really have a lot of respect for those two guys. Yeah, they were uh, they would always come and talk, and always come and share, and always say, "Jeepers, it'd be great to get you in the lineup. We could use your quickness." Blah blah. blah. Always saying the right things to keep you motivated. Sure, and uh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that's that's nice, right? Like, yep. Yeah. And generally, uh, generally, uh, uh, Bobby Smith to me one of the classiest guys uh, of our era, and uh, uh, just had a very professional approach to the game. You talk about Howard Chuck, another guy that's underrated, Bobby Smith. When you look at his points he put up everywhere he went, pretty oh, good, you know. No, oh, he was uh, to me. Um, boy, even he just had a he just had a sense about the game. He was. He was very, very, he was very Mario Lemieux like <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. in the way he played. Uh, but you got out of that situation, signed as free agent as Quebec. Uh, that was somebody wanted you, so that probably felt a lot better than, like you said, sitting on the sidelines in Minnesota, right? And this was Sundin, Sackick, Nolan, beginning of a powerhouse, kind of. Well, Pierre Paget was the general manager there, mm-hmm. and he, uh, he brought me and a couple of guys in to. Uh, and he told me, he said, look, he said, we want you to lead by example. We want you to play. We want you to show them the, the, the habits, the game habits, the work ethic, the, uh, you know, um, just what it takes to be a professional. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was very complimentary. He was in Calgary when we when we'd won a couple of series against them. And uh, 
Um, so yeah, I mean the, the team was the team was uh, you know you had Owen Nolan, Matt Sundin, you had Brian Fogarty, you had Joe Sachs, you had Valerie Kaminsky, and yeah. Tatarinov and Gusarov. You had uh, a number of other young up and coming players. <coughs> Excuse me, and it got to be uh, um, the team was was young, and they, they you could see what they had. Yeah, but they they just weren't ready, and and uh, um, to to they weren't ready to win if you will, and uh, um, they hadn't learned the cost of winning yet. Yep. And what the cost was going to be, they were, they were all young, they were all talented, and uh, um, I remember Pierre called me in his office, he says, well, how are they doing, what's going on? Right. You know, you don't, you don't backstab your teammates or break any news of how they're living or anything like right, that. Right, you know, right. You're given more of a professional approach. I remember told Pierre, I said, Pierre, I said, you know, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to grind through a year or two or three or four uh, while these guys grow up, mm-hmm. and uh, um, hopefully they mature and grow up, and they all have the talent to play. But it's which ones are going to become responsible hockey players? And, <laughs> in in uh, short, you're like, look, these guys are out of hand off the ice, but they're but they're uh, talented. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about that. Right, but, right, uh, right. <laughs> they, they, uh, let's say they lived large. Yeah, yeah. No, you're like, look, they're they're great players, right? Uh, yeah. For, um, 28 points in 46 games, so, so like pretty decent showing points per game type deal. Um, Kamensky, I don't know how he was as a teammate, but he was phenomenal. No, he's one of the best, most talented players I've ever played. Right? With. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> his uh, um, and and uh, Brian Brian Fogarty, uh, bless his soul. He he was. If he could have kept his off-ice life, and it's well-known together, yeah. he was absolutely incredible. And his speed, his ability to see the ice, uh, just just a great, great hockey player. And, uh, um, you know, Kaminsky, I, I, I said I could not believe at full speed his ability to move laterally. It was yeah. the only other guy I've seen in my NHL career that had that ability to move laterally was uh, Gilbert Perrault. And... Uh, um, that's pretty good company. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I remember he played for Russia in that rendezvous series. Do you remember that two game series or whatever? Yes. And he was great. And, and then you know, I mean, obviously this is a few years later. He shows up and it's like, wow, this guy. He's got some wheels and some skills and a shot and everything. So yeah. Well, there's uh, is certain aspects of, of yeah. the game back then that uh, weren't uh, weren't weren't conducive to, to uh, conditioning and stuff. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> It, like a lot of like a lot of Russians or Finns or Swedes who come over, right? I mean, that's that's kind of they were free in a in a sense, you know, um, making a lot of money, more money than they were used to. Um, was Sakic, does Sakic remind you? And he does to me a little bit, but you would certainly know better, Doug. Um, Sakic kind of like Howardchuk. Was he a Howardchuk uh, better than Dale? I think they're kind of the same guy. Or what, what? What's your take on comparing those two great centermen? You know, I, I think there there is some similarities. I think uh, uh, talk about toughness or whatever, um, and and what players are really tough in the NHL. And most people talk about um, um, toughness coming from a you know a six three two hundred twenty pound grinding right winger or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but there's guys that I think were, were some of the toughest in the NHL that never had the Never had the complete limelight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Joe and, and uh, Dale were were in that category. They seemed sometimes to get overshadowed, and but but uh, uh, they had a toughness about their game that was just it's rare. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to win. They were both uh, not yelling leaders, um, 
and their their passing ability phenomenal. Uh, I think uh, I think Sakic, uh, you know, on the pure skill side of things, had a you know quicker, handier release uh, mm-hmm. from his shot than than Dale did. Dale was then Dale was uh, would find more creative ways to score goals, uh, if that can be said. Right. And we're not diminishing either guy. Yeah. Um, but but both. Uh, to my mind, these guys were both phenomenal hockey players. That uh, you know, Dale it would have been great to see him win a couple of cups for what he brought to the table. Now, I when I was looking at your stats and thinking about your career and doing research, I automatically assumed that you were claimed an expansion draft for Senators the next year, because there's no way anybody would want to go there, um, you know, without being forced to. But you signed with them. You were a free agent. You went to Ottawa Senators. Yeah. Well, it, it's. Uh... Pierre Paget asked me um, the year before, you know, how long a contract I wanted right. halfway through the year. And I said, Pierre, I said, you know, just wait to the end of the year and mm-hmm. where you, you have a better focus on what your needs are going to be. Um, uh, I think uh, the owner of the club stepped into a few things that year and it, it opened things up for, uh, well, not opened them up, it shut down that off yeah. for me. And uh, um, then uh, um, Ottawa was was there and uh again my numbers had had that great i got injured for i tore i had all on an all samuelson incident where oh, it, uh, you you too took huh my, <laughs> took my knee out for for 35 games or so and i was uh you know was probably going to get 20 25 goals on that team mm-hmm. um but lost uh lost that edge and so it it, it dropped down uh your marketability quite a bit and so John Ferguson was the director of player personnel. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about in, that. Uh, right. In Ottawa, and yeah. uh, Rick Bonnes um, was the, was the, was uh, coaching there. Right. And uh, Bones was, was one of my favorite uh, hockey people of all time. And, he's uh, still in the game. He's a lifer. Yeah. He's a lifer. Uh, he's, <laughs> but he's a phenomenal. He's a phenomenal coach. Is he? Yeah. A phenomenal players coach. He's real. He's honest. He mm-hmm. doesn't go with uh, management all the time. He goes with what he believes of his players, mm-hmm. um, and he's just a very supportive guy. So uh, that was one of the biggest reasons. Him and Fergie, were, 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 I was going to go to Europe and play. I actually had yeah. a better money offer to go to Europe and play, uh, but uh, wanted to hang out and see if I could uh, you know, get a few more years and, and help Ottawa in that way and maybe grow into something with Rick and, and John there. But right. uh, it wasn't in the cards. Um, That's a it, uh, tough year. That's a gritty year, right? There. Oh my gosh! It was, uh, we called it. Uh, I remember Bosch and myself were, were on that team, and we, we looked at each other at one point and just said, "This is a career killer." <laughs> and, uh, and so it uh, it was just what it was. It, yeah. It was a uh, it was a holding pattern year for Ottawa. Their first year, they could get a draft pick and then start building their team. And yep. Um, you know, you you, you kind of hope that you could hang through that a little bit. Right. Um, and it was it was tough. I mean, it was it was really tough. Uh, I, I've, you know, I, I got to know Ray Ferraro a little bit, and he played for the Thrashers, right? And, and he said sometimes they didn't even know who was playing net for them anymore. It was seven, eight, nine guys, whatever. Just yeah. Well, it was uh, <laughs> that was a tough year. Not oh all. yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, the fans were into it. You guys won your first ever game. You're off to a yeah. great start. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, <laughs> It was hilarious, but you find out right then and there how far it's a very short ride from the penthouse to the outhouse. <laughs> yeah, really. You're like, let's see, Sackick, Nolan, Sadine, looking around. Oh, I got nobody here. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was, and the, and the sad part was that uh, to me, I mean, uh, some of the older guys, Marshy, Brad Marsh. Was, oh, that's right. Yeah. He's a warrior on the defense, and and Boschman, everybody knows he's a warrior as a center iceman, and and those guys. 
those guys' ice time got cut way back. Yeah. And it was very, very frustrating to, to watch that because you wanted some kind of stability to have that, uh, knowing that you've got some very responsible players in the lineup, at least a handful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was tough. Looking through your career, even on some bad Jet teams, you were almost always a plus guy. You know, and of course, nowadays we look at plus minus and there's lots of debate about it. But regardless, you're a plus guy for, for most of your career, even, like I said, on some bad Jet teams. Minus 34 in, uh, in Ottawa. <laughs> you were just like, you guys couldn't do anything, right? Like, it was just, just one of those no, years, man. No, it was, it was, it was, it was just bad. And, yeah. You know, it was, there was, uh, yeah, you just hang your head on the you you, you put your head down and, and uh, just kind of go. Oh, you take a deep breath. It's almost like uh, you're like I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just a, it's this cultural mojo that develops mm-hmm. too, where where sure you know everybody kind of knows, but you don't say anything about it, just because it's it's not going to be. It's not in the stars. It's just not there. You just yeah, it's it's what it is. You understand that it was a very political year too for the team to develop. Uh, and get established for draft picks, and, and uh, it really wasn't uh, a year of, of true building. It was more of a holding pattern year. Well, you went from that and uh, called it an NHL career. Um, did you have any offers, or, or was it off to Britain, England, which is, by the way, a weird move, for especially back then. It, it, yeah, it would be it, now. It was, I had had uh, um, uh, talked to Bob Clark in, mm-hmm. uh, in Florida at the time, and uh, Really, there wasn't anything coming across the plate, and I was, um, I was been looking to Europe for a couple of years before. Yeah, uh, but it was a, um, it was a transition time. Um, I was again, I was a little mentally fatigued from certain things in my personal life, and I, I went looking for a place where I could have fun. Sure. And uh, had out offers in Germany and Switzerland, more of the high end leagues and mm-hmm. uh, uh, better offers money wise. But I just, I just wanted to go have some fun. And I actually was talking with Team Canada that year, and uh, uh, they said we want you to come and play in the Olympics. Uh, we just want to. We just want to. Uh, I said, well, I just I don't want to stay with the team for the year. I'd, I'd rather go over. I'll get in good shape. I'll get more ice time. Mm-hmm. Uh, start to get some fun back in the game, and then you know we we talked about joining the team a month before uh, the Olympics and playing some games, getting in the mojo. And they actually, I think they went without one left winger, and uh, chose not to. That was that was kind of a. Uh, uh, that would have been Lillehammer, right? Ninety-four. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, they decided against it at the last minute, which didn't make oh. me very happy. Yeah, bummer. I was probably playing and, and and having more hand time with the puck than I'd had in ten years, and uh, was in great shape and was excited. And but anyway, it was what it was, and went. I had a heck of a fun time over there. Met some fabulous people. Uh, um, it was it was just good fun. I just the game was the game again. I'd probably using skills I hadn't used in ten years because <laughs> right. the puck was on my stick so much. You're, and you're you're redeveloping your game. So, dude, you were you were Gretzky, seventy four goals in well, fifty three games, uh, one hundred and sixty nine uh, points. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was what it was. There was probably four or five teams in the league that were real quality, yeah. and then the yeah. other ones there was a big fall off. So you know you're looking at your line mate in the second period after you had five points going. Uh, let's let the other kids play now. Yeah, yeah, really. Oh, I, were you the best guy by far? Was there other NHL guys there, or what was it? What there was, was it? one kid that played a few games in the NHL with the Rangers, a guy by the name of Mark Morrison, who's uh, okay. who's helping coach in the American League now. He was he was a really good hockey player. Yeah, he was he was a buck forty five, my same height as me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Played in Italy and Germany in the leagues over there for ten years, and uh, uh, very good talent, good skater, good talent. But uh, because of his size, and uh, um, he was like half of me. Uh, strength-wise, and yeah, yeah. 
but uh, it was him and I, and we tag teamed it pretty good. The uh, yeah, and like you said, you turned down some, you turned down a little bit money uh, and a little bit better money and some maybe quality, be- better quality leagues, but you had a lot of fun. So that's 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 to be said something. But was this what were the rinks like? Were they NHL size or, or international size? Yeah, both both. Okay, yeah, some were smaller than NHL. I mean, this was some were smaller than NHL. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they were rinks built in the 1940s after the Second World War. I mean, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, I remember one rink we went into, and this was classic slap shot. Mark Morrison, in fact, we were driving on the bus to one of the games, and he, I turned around, I'd sit at the front of the bus, and he, I turned around, looked at him, and he's staring at me. I said, "What are you looking at?" <laughs> And he just says, uh, he says, I'm just trying to wonder what the heck is going through your head going to these places. <laughs> and I said, I looked at him, I started laughing. I said, you know what? I said, I'm taking video of everywhere I go with my video camera because this has just been a blast. Yeah, like, yeah. There's the way through the season. And, I mean, we'd go into places in, in, in lower England and uh, we'd find a little uh, uh, Indian restaurant and we'd go in and we'd have food cooked after a game. We'd stay here until 3, 3, 3.30 in the morning talking with the locals and having a glass of wine and just having more food cooked and just it was just a blast. We did that stuff all year long. Yeah, really, huh? Just, just phenomenal stuff and uh, uh but I uh I remember driving to this rink and uh the start of the game we had to go around with the butt ends of our sticks on the dasher board and back behind our net where the the nails were popping up. <laughs> and so we pound those nails down with the butts of our sticks so the defensive wouldn't rip their forearms up with their pla- oh, their man. themselves on the on the boards, but yeah, it was a classic. I mean, it was classic uh, slap shot hockey. Two years ago, you were in the NHL making money, and you know the bright lights and signing autographs and everything. Well, I guess you're still signing autographs, but you're like, no man, now now I'm hitting down nails with my stick. <laughs> and maybe, no, but, it was. But like you honestly, said, you had fun. Was, yeah, yeah. It was. It was just. It, it was just the purity of the game, mm-hmm. and it was. I remember sitting outside. We made it to the final four that year, and we're playing in Wembley, and. Uh, and in the Wembley Arena, and we got beaten out. And I remember um, at the time, uh, my wife at the time, uh, she just knew. And she just, I sat on a retaining wall because she, that was, I was going to quit after mm-hmm. that. And I ended up playing a couple half seasons over there. But yeah. um, she just left. And uh, I, uh, I just sat on a retaining wall outside that stadium. And I just, it was, it was sunny out. It was like 70 degrees in London that in yeah, April. Yeah. And um, I just, you could hear the roar of the crowd inside of Wembley for the game that was going on at the time. I just sat there and reflected for about an hour on the past 14 years in, uh, sure. in my college career. And it was just kind of surreal and may sound kind of emotionally corny, but it was it was just a time of reflection that was pretty neat sitting outside one of the most famous stadiums in Europe. Yeah. Um, listening to that crowd and thinking about hockey and smiling and uh, just reflecting back on a lot of fun. Yeah, if you had told Doug Smale back in you know the late 70s of 14 years and you're in England and you sound like a guy who has an appreciation of you know history and the things that are going on in the world and and being able to do that for a living you know you you take it right you take it in no, a second yeah terribly terribly blessed and privileged to have played and uh, and thinking of the, the people that you you've had to meet from uh, you know the different owners in the NHL to the, the the management to the players to the fans to the business associations to it just it, it's still to this day it is just there's a stench of hockey around my home that is just mm-hmm. you know I have uh, my daughter my daughter Ashley she's uh, uh, my wife and I've been married ten years and and uh, Ashley is is uh, what people call stepdaughter but she is the the one of our children who wants every piece of my hockey career oh yeah <laughs> she wants it all and she is so passionate and uh, in fact we were we were invited to go back to a 75th anniversary of the team I played for in in Fife, Scotland, 
and uh, my wife and Ashley came with and to this uh, celebrity game and uh, touring Scotland and oh, wow. uh, uh, St. Andrews and all the places, and we just had a, a, such a uh, hockey romantic time. It was phenomenal. Um did you keep much memorabilia? Do you have much? Are you one of those guys that doesn't, you know, doesn't look back, or did you? No, you know what? It's it's it's. Uh, um, I'm a I'm a forward thinking guy, mm-hmm. um, but I have uh, I have a lot of boxes of stuff that's yeah, uh, yeah. that that are unpacked. My home isn't draped with hockey stuff. Uh, I have an old china cabinet that my grandparents gave me that is maybe three feet by four feet, and uh, it's it's. There's three shells in it, and there's uh, uh, got little bits of hockey stuff. Cool. My first skates when I was two years old to uh, North Dakota hockey stuff to uh, just a few things in there that uh, my wife says that has to be out. So um, <laughs> that's what's there. Um, do you uh, are you a how does that work for guys like you? Are you a Winnipeg Jet alumni or are you a Phoenix Coyote alumni? How does that work? Uh, you'd have to ask the NHL that question. <laughs> yeah, like, like I wonder how. I, I don't know. I was going to ask you, you know, if the, the current Winnipeg Jets, who are back, by the way, and you might get, you got to be happy about that, or at least a little bit. Um, I don't know how that works. Whether well, tec- you know? technically, technically, I'm a Coyote. Yeah, alumni. right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so I don't know. They don't seem to do much though up in Winnipeg, from what I gather. Again, I live in Vegas now, but yeah, I don't. They don't. They don't seem to do much with with guys like you. Or I even asked Ray Newfeld the same question. You know, so I don't know exactly what they're doing, but. Yeah, it's good. You know, it's they have to establish their own identity with their franchise, right. and uh, you know they've got tremendous ownership up there, and uh, uh, guys that are deeply involved in their players and their game. I mean, uh, Mark Chipman's a phenomenal human being, and uh, uh, has done a great job with that franchise. Have you been back to see the new new Jets? No, I, oh, okay. I've, I've not not gone back and watched the game, but uh, yep. certainly uh, went to their uh, their uh, their game against Colorado here last year. Oh, cool! Year. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. Good uh, hockey game. Um, all right, quick, quick, quick questions before you wrap this up. Doug Smale on the Pulp Hockey Podcast, and I thank you for your time, Doug. Uh, best goal you ever scored? Do you, is there one that stands out? Either best, biggest, something? Is there uh, one you know, I, not really. Okay. Um, unless, unless there's a goal that uh, contributes to the road to lifting that big cup. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess those goals came in, in college where we won a national championship. But, right. Uh, um, the, just the thrill of uh, the thrill of the game, and and uh, I can add this. You know, there's games where you mentioned the great Edmonton Oilers. There's times that we'd play against those teams, and they'd make plays on the ice. You almost wanted to, you know, take your drop your stick, <laughs> yeah. stand up, put your gloves <laughs> on the bench, and then just start clapping. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was a fan of the game while I played it, which was somewhat of a hindrance to me. But uh, mm-hmm. um, you just appreciate the talent that's around you. You could have played for those other smell. You could have been there. You could have been Gretzky's <laughs> winger. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, and then uh, best coach you played for, bonus or was there was there another guy? Well, not to slight anybody, they all had their strengths. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, I thought Tommy Watt was a phenomenal coach. Right. Um, uh, but I thought Rick Bonus had the best handle, uh, both from technical side to to really really caring. Mm-hmm. Uh, really caring. I remember um, he said to me one game I came up and as a year I got a slap shot in the, in the head that I missed another 35 games and uh, he came up and he just got put in at the helm after somebody got fired and and I hadn't been playing at all and he, mm-hmm. he came to me, walked straight over to me and addressed me he says, look, he says, I don't know what they've been doing with you but he said, get ready to play Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he, uh, in the first game, sure enough I played a ton, got two goals against the Rangers next game, second game he's back and I played in Detroit and that's when I got hit with a puck in the, in the face and it uh, ended my year but he just had a he had an element of being able to uh, 
relate to the guys, mm-hmm. uh, know that he cared. And I think that one of the, 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 the biggest things about coaching and that I've learned is that if, you, if, you, if your players know you care about them, they're going to play for you. And uh, mm-hmm. Bones seem to have that capability. Yeah, really well said. Uh, Gretzky or Lemieux, who would you start a team with? Who would I start a team with? Who were you more, I guess, like I said, you played Gretzky more, but Lemieux well, was pretty amazing. I, I, it's just, it's, they both were leaders on Stanley Cup teams. They both could have won tons of Stanley Cups if their teams had been kept together. Um, it, it, it's, I'm not even going to answer that question because they're both <laughs> tremendous, completely different players. Yeah, they were, weren't they? Yeah, Completely different players, yet they both had great leadership, great confidence. They both played the game with a John Wade swagger. And uh, um, so it, it's, it's, it's either one of them. Be happy with either one of them. Yeah, well, you're right about that. Yeah, they were phenomenal. Well, Ducks Mail, uh, thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you for giving me some, some of your time. I really appreciate it. Like I said, grew up watching you, and uh, and uh, it's been great to kind of get a little bit behind the scenes and figure out some of the whys and what fors and what ifs and everything else. Uh, you're in Colorado, so, um, you know, like I said, hopefully you're doing well and everything else. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks, Doug.